Welcome to We Dig Metal Evolution, a special Let It Roll Maxi series discussing Sam Dunn's Metal Evolution documentary series hosted by Nate Wilcox with Eugene S. Robinson of the art punk band Oxbow and entertainment lawyer Alexi Ald. Let It Roll is the insanely ambitious musical history podcast. We've covered the early history of rock and roll, country music in the 20th century, the rise of hip-hop, disco, and electronic dance music, and now heavy metal. Stay tuned for our histories of Broadway, opera, punk rock, jazz, blues, and gospel. Follow the Let It Roll podcast on Twitter, at Let It Rollcast, and check out our website at LetItRollPodcast.com. Let It Roll is a Pantheon podcast, and you can listen to more great podcasts at www.PantheonPodcast.com. Today, Nate, Eugene, and Alexi discuss progressive metal from King Crimson through Rush and Dream Theater through the post-grunge acts like Tool and Mastodon. Email us at letterrollpodcast at gmail.com. Pop in those earbuds and enjoy. It's time to let roll. I'm your host, Nate Wilcox, and we're back again with Alexi Old and Eugene S. Robinson to continue our discussion of Sam Dunn's Metal Evolution series that aired on VH1 a few years back. The 11th episode focuses on progressive metal, which lets Dunn cover some of his 21st century favorites like Mastodon and Meshuggah, and that necessitates a trip down memory lane to incorporate the history of British prog rock and early prog metal pioneers like Rush, Queensryche, and Dream Theater. So... This is the last episode of the official VH1 series. For some reason, they did 11. I mean, who does 11 shows and not... It goes up to 11. (laughs) (laughs) Fitting, fitting, fitting. So there's a crowdfunded episode, though, on Extreme Metal, which to me was all the stuff I wanted to hear about. So I'm glad that they, they went back and do this because a history of metal with no death metal, no black metal, no grindcore, not a history of metal. But I guess VH1... Want to sell advertising. So we've got progressive metal, which to me is kind of a kludge. He starts out with Mastodon, which I was introduced to as a doom metal band. But when I heard him, I was like, they're kind of fancy proggy stuff, but not the kind of prog that made my hair fall out and gave me nosebleeds. Like, um, like, Dream Theater and Queensryche, which I've actually gone and listened to for the first time to prepare for this show. So taking it for the team. I was so happy after watching this episode. I was so happy. I was happier <laughs> than I've ever been. Uh-huh. We heard you complaining about it uh, no, last time. No, I, no, that was anticipatory complaining. After ah. I watched it, I realized there was a problem with how he put it together, but I'll get into it later. Okay, okay. So, But he starts with Macedon, uh, late 90s early 21st century band coming out of Atlanta uh, features them as, you know, a band he likes a significant band, popular band. I I definitely heard about them even after I had tuned out all, all hard rock and then zeros right in on their influences and they lead with Genesis. Yes. And King Crimson quote, all that good stuff. But if you listen to Mastodon, they don't sound like a prog rock band. They sound like a metal band with prog elements, uh, you know, and and so, um, but then then he gets into so he's like Prague, 
And then, and then this is a classic Sam Dunn quote. So I'm doing this series on a history of heavy metal. I never imagined I'd be exploring British prog rock. The music to me is more connected to flutes and mythology and distorted guitar, but it turns out a lot of metal musicians were influenced by bands like King Crimson and Yes and Genesis. Other than the flutes, I mean, mythology and distorted guitar is metal, right? I mean, and also there, there are plenty of places you can get into a fistfight for mentioning King Crimson with Yes and Genesis. They're pe- the six sure. serious King Crimson heads are like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Genesis and Yes are very different from King Crimson. I think I'm going to move it's down great. your mic, Eugene, so people can hear more of what you're talking about. <laughs> Thank you, Alex. Now, uh, yeah, but, there you go. Yeah, and, and, and we'll get into that when, when we talk about it. But, you know, you could say the same thing about Genesis being different from Yes and King Crimson. But there are people who like King Crimson that don't like any of the other products prog bands of that era and and, you know and i i admit i've been in that camp myself although there's different there's multiple different iterations of king crimson and this one they're mostly talking about the 1969 iteration with robert fripp and greg lake who later goes on to form emerson lake and palmer and the thing they don't get into is that king crimson hit hard was big and then completely disintegrated on their first tour but had they stayed together they would have been bigger than all the prog bands put together i think because their first american tour i mean it was just doing banner business it was like not quite led zeppelin level but comparable and and you know getting accolades and and they were big and heavy but they lead with genesis actually and they they go talk to steve hackett and genesis's influences on metal apparently boils down to tapping which i I think is fair It's, it's it was a big deal for eddie van halen et cetera. And Steve Hackett did do it first. So, but pretty thin gruel. And and they show plenty of Peter Gabriel dressed as a flower and, you know, the silly stuff. But, yeah. But I, I've actually gone back and listened to uh, the early Genesis albums. I still haven't made it to a lamb lies down on Broadway. Yeah, okay, 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 okay. okay. The, right, the, 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 yeah, there's a problem with terminology here that that uh, that Dunn falls into and that the entire metal scene has gone into, you know, and it's just because just you can't think of another word that catches on doesn't mean that there's no other word that really exists. I mean, the, the ELP, fine. Genesis, fine. Yes, fine. If that's Prague, that's what I was anticipating the whole show would be. And there are a couple of other names in there. Okay, like like Rush is perfect right there. Fine, fine. But when you start to say Dillinger Escape Plan, King Crimson, Mastodon, Meshuggah, we're not talking pro. You just haven't been able to come up with a cool name for it. But the, antece- the antecedents for those guys, if you, if you want to talk to somebody, let's talk to in Silver Through Blood, the record where uh, where the, the cats in, in Neurosis finally said, you know, we're tired of doing three-minute, two-minute songs about about the government, and we just want to, we got, we have something else burning inside of us, and it was this whole kind of nativistic return to just super heavy, earthbound, ancient gods type stuff without being explicit about flutes and, and corsets and that kind of dragons and that kind of stuff. And we'll um, come to all this, and I have a whole theory about this when it's time to talk about Tool. But let's 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 start right because Tool, I think, is the dividing line, and and there's except except for the fact that the difference is, and these cats, it, 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 I'm going back to my jazz vocalist, pop music, anti-vocalist thing, that the, the vocal that Tool was different because 
he can sing. He can sing. Absolutely. He can, he, he, he Maynard, can sing. Maynard, Maynard can sing. And the cats from Meshuggah are also, even though it's a, there's a big difference between them and Napalm Death. He's tuneful in his, in his screaming. So, and that's, yeah. Almost, and yeah. and we'll but, talk about the whole grindcore, difference between grindcore and death metal on the next episode. But, but let's go ahead and get to the prog rock thing. So, I mean, there are obviously differences between King Crimson, Genesis, yes, everybody else. But I think they get to that. And and but let's lead with Genesis. I, Genesis is a hard one for me. The whole prog thing was a hard one for me. Being a self-described punk rock kid, my yeah. older brother was into prog rock. I yeah. all I knew about it was I didn't like it, and yeah. I didn't give it a chance. I didn't listen to it. But then Buffalo '66 came out around 2000 mm. and had uh, a great you know the climactic shooting scene uses spanning a through time. We're spanning yep. through time. We are, we are the zipping through our lives, and and there was also a King Crimson ballad, and that made me go back to both of those bands. I'd always liked King Crimson more than the other ones, um, but I, you know, it's not like I had King Crimson albums or anything. And I went back and I think they were better, more interesting players, right? Well, I, you know, I, Yes was good players. So the thing about Yes is that they were pop songs. They were singing. Yep. Like it's there's yep. melodies yep. and choruses and the whole bit. It's not just blah, 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 you know, that's part of it, but but there's hooks and you know, I, I was when I went back and listened to the Yes albums, I was like, Oh, okay, I get this. Like some of it went Tales of Tropicanic Oceans or whatever. Yeah went way off the deep end. But but the classic I, I get why people like Yes. Genesis have never I'm, done the work. I, yeah. Work I'm biased on. against. I'm buying against bias against Genesis because a, a girlfriend was dumping me once, and she she said she said, uh, "Look, this song by Genesis will explain it all." And she transcribed Ouch. the lyrics from "The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway." Is that a Genesis song? Yeah, that's that's and, the big concept album. Peter Gabriel ended his tenure. And that in and that and that was supposed to explain to me precisely why she was dumping. <laughs> <laughs> well, she should have just given you the finger and and, and so what is that way. song about I, for those of us who aren't familiar yeah. with it? I pretentious nonsense. Yeah, I, I would say it's, a, it's an extremely yeah. dense concept album that I haven't bothered to pin. And I don't want to diss it because I, I uh, Peter Gabriel's become Peter Gabriel. Genesis went on to have uh, you know a big sledgehammer. Hey man, it's like somebody dumping you and you say, well, what, what's let's just talk let's talk about this a bit and then they give you some chewing gum <laughs> mm, yeah it, okay, it, right. it, it was a each it was chew a represents your piercing my soul during the relationship and your salivation yeah, yeah man yeah so personal grudges aside we're trying to be fair here it's not our brand. The, the the thing they leave out though there's a whole era of prog rock they leave out which is prog essentially Giant. started with sergeant pepper's and then there's the Moody Blues and Procol Harum and Giant. people who are listening to Giant, yes, and 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 people who are listening to Sgt. Pepper's Pet Sounds and Phil Spector stuff, and they're all these middle class British guys who went to music school, and they're like, I want to do this too. Some of them were like Steve Howe, and, and yes, he was in legit R and B bands, but he also yeah. had been taking lessons, and then you know as he developed, he was in a cool psychedelic band called Tomorrow. They also miss out that the jazz fusion was happening at the same time. So Miles Davis and Bitches Brew was a big, big deal. And all of these guys were listening to that stuff. Yep. Like I, yep. they were not necessarily able to 
swing, <laughs> but they were listening to that that kind of stuff. But, there, that, but, that was... the, but, there, but there was a warring instinct, and I found I, I was saying, "Are they going to say it? Are they going to say it?" And then finally, they said it. And one of the I can't remember who it was that said it. He goes, "Hey man, we we were intellectuals, you know." So this whole yeah. thing of like, "Oh, I'm going to do like the American blues man and drink myself into stupidity," you know, that there was a, a bifurcation there where some people were like, "Nah, that's uh, uh, that's all right. I don't have to." No, not, no, no, thanks. And, and what's funny is you have Led Zeppelin. And why was Led Zeppelin so shitty to John Paul Jones all those years? Because John Paul Jones was was one of those aforementioned, you know, intellectuals who was a hot shit studio guy during that time, right? And it was a, a little bit older than everybody else, if I'm remembering correctly. And yeah, but like, he was also a working class guy. So he wasn't, yeah. he wasn't like these bands had people that went to, to Oxbridge, you know, Oxford and Cambridge. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, you know, Genesis, yeah. Genesis totally comes out of a public school. They also didn't, don't mention that Deep Purple was kind of the bridge between Prague That's and metal right. this whole time. I mean, Deep Purple did a, a whole album a with a symphony orchestra. Yeah, notable yeah. absence. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, they've already covered Deep Purple like 15 times. And then they get into to King Crimson and they point out, okay, this is the one prog band that was heavy and loud. And the thing about King Crimson is they came along like right at the same time as Black Sabbath and Led Zeppelin. So if you were a rock fan at that time, here's a band with Marshall Stacks. They're loud as hell. It's heavy. You know, Greg Lake, great singer. You know, it was right in that same niche and jimmy hendrix loved king crimson jimmy hendrix almost tried out for emerson like a palmer at one point which you know yeah shows you jimmy was <laughs> very lost <laughs> but you know uh such as it was anyway they, they talk about king crimson they, they get the dark and evil aspect of that and and then they uh segue to rush and they kind of collapse the time because all the prog rock British prog rock stuff is basically happening from like 69 to 73. Mm-hmm. Rush really doesn't like, I think their first album was 73, but they don't really hit their stride till like 76, 77. So rush is this later thing. And on the chart, they've got like sticks and Kansas in there too. Cause there's this whole mm-hmm. heartland prog rocking bands thing going on. Cause you know, and that rush yeah. sort of fit into, and and well, the, and go ahead. I'm just saying that one of the things they missed too that was big about Rush, and I thought was understated, was iconography. Yep. You know, I saw the, you know yep. the, the the pentagram and the the, the searcher on, and also they, their bona fides were. A friend of mine named uh, Paul Dordal was a hardcore guy. Hardcore music, the hardest of hardcore guys, was a, a Rush roadie for years. That was a the guy they chose to be their like stage manager and Rush roadie. I, he and I used to run up and down the the, the boardwalk in, uh, in in Jersey fighting guys. <laughs> and this was the guy that Rush. So Rush <laughs> had, had had a foot in in in. You know, it wasn't like Namby Pamby kind of. Uh, no, and like yeah. their first album, and what made them was they were meathead rockers that went over yeah, in Cleveland, yeah. and Cleveland was yeah. the rock city. Yeah, right. Like Cleveland right. and Detroit were, you know, that's where the sweaty, long-haired, hard rocking bands, uh, you know, made their bona fides, and also bands like the MC5 and Velvet Underground were big in those towns too, and so you yeah. know, open to a lot of stuff. But Rush gets gets Neil Peart. They add Neil Peart who was on their first album and they get progressively progier and progier. And like they said, they basically didn't know what they were doing until their fourth album, like 2112, but 21, I mean, like I spent decades hating rush and making fun of everybody listening to rush, but also they were my favorite band in fourth grade. I mean, I think 
you got to respect Rush for what they are. They're massively... The Go weird ahead. thing about Rush, I thought, is also that what it should have been noted is that I hated, I hated early Rush too. And then when did I start to like Rush? It wasn't so much the musical change; it was like the rings on a tree. It was like when Geddy Lee's voice start to change as a result of him getting older. It suddenly, I could suddenly stand it. You know, a lot of people are turned off by Geddy Lee's screechy, high pitched voice. That is extremely very Dungeons and Dragons. The kind of person but, that you think would personify like a D and D player going into rock music is what Geddy Lee, but Rush had. But it changed. Uh, it changed. Yeah, I take your word for like, it. Yeah, well, they they there's like a, a distinct period, and they talk about that. Like mm. in 1980, they put out Permanent Waves, yep. and they made the same. They're listening to the Police, and the Police were old art rock guys who cut their hair and dyed it blonde and pretended to be punk. And sort of did reggae, but mostly used new technology to sound different and new. Mm. Not here to diss the police, not a especially big fan, you but better not diss them. <laughs> colossally huge, and unless you want to be a spirit in the material world, that's right. And and Rush <laughs> followed that path. ZZ Top followed that path too. It was Watch like it. Hey. they did. They they yeah. they got synthesizers and they updated their stuff, used drum machines, changed their sound for the eighties. Well, yes, brought well. in a new bass player and singer and did the same thing with Trevor Robin and and you know, it's easy to use a drum machine when your drummer is passed out in the corner. <laughs> well, you know, but drum machines was the sound at the time and, and yeah, and eight was also big and around. But that's that's a sidetrack. That's just kind of like what Rush was very popular and successful at, but it, they lost their metal following. And they say as much, like they went in a different direction into this kind of pop. I don't know exactly. There's not really a term for it. I mean, 80s art rock, would you call it? I, I, no, I, no, I, no, I wouldn't call it it's, art rock. It's, yeah, it's not artsy, but it's a bunch of ex art rockers made talking heads was like art rock right and blondie yeah talking heads art rock is a deceptive thing well vice like it means vice vice magazine calls oxbow the greatest the world's greatest art rock band and and i never liked that yeah art rock is so broad because it's anybody went to art school can be called art rock or or anybody who's got an intellectual you know some kind of intellectual pretensions and that's the thing and and that's where we'll get to the big split um, intellectual <laughs> but is the there's the, the thing with with this intellectualism is that people like chris squire and yes it's not somebody i would call an intellectual i would call him middlebrow he's like he's not it's not like he's reading that's because you're a snob. literature i am a snob but and that's the big split and that's what where tool is going to come in yeah. and change things because this coterie of groups were all the kind of people who wanted sophisticated music were were intellectually open, but they wanted the notes played right. They weren't interested in any kind of dissonance. They weren't interested, you know, it's like there was this big split between the Velvet Underground and Frank Zappa in the mid sixties. And, and people aren't necessarily connecting the dots, but all of these guys, every one of these prog rock bands was heavy into Zappa. Zappa mm. pointed the way with yeah. his freak out. It was the first double album in rock. Yeah one of the first bands that had like legit composer to me, Frank Zappa is not a rocker at all. He's a would be modernist composer who used a rock yeah. band to do his pieces. And it took, you know, like, and it's also 
with this layer of, of smarmy satire on top. And that's what which got always, him over. Which, which, which irked, irked me to no end and I found yeah. really boring. And, uh, my favorite, was, my favorite story though is when Lou Reed uh, asked Diamanda Gallus to sing with him. And she's like, I'm not going to sing with you. You can't even keep a note. And he's like, some of, some of us don't think keeping a note is that important. She goes, really? If your guitar player shows up tonight <laughs> and, uh, you know, plays all of the wrong notes, uh, you probably... Frozen. Okay, but the big split I wanted to get to was Frank Zappa versus the Velvet Underground. East Coast, West Coast, they were both seen as artsy bands that both had legit classical people. Like John Cage went to Fancy Pants. Oh, sorry, yes, John Cale went oh to legit. God, I'm doing a show with amateurs. Hey, I'm an old man. I, I get these <laughs> names wrong. But John Cale went to legit classical music school and he was studying with modernist classic composers like john cale like philip glass etc etc zappa like john cage sorry um cage cale was legit and zappa was legit zappa cale for lunch man these... maybe that's what happened uh-huh or you should zappa, have more kale in your diet they had both studied modernist composers but the thing was they were studying different modernist composers and it was like oil and water and kale was into dissonance and improvisation and noise and droning and zappa was into very precise you know lots of notes and very precise and virtuosic and get it right and play it perfectly whereas the velvet underground was about you know improvise and wild and playing with amateurs it was very much the way john coltrane would recruit amateurs during his free jazz period so it's oil and water but to me like the velvet underground are what i would consider highbrow and zappa's more like middlebrow and so these guys are and that's that implies this hierarchy that i don't think is necessarily fair or valid but that's the distinction and then when you the next piece of the episode talks about dream theater and queensrike which are very much in the same tradition and they found that even though this kind of prog stuff was very passe and very out of favor in the 80s there was still a big market for it and mm. i wasn't a queensrike fan but my metal call metalhead college roommate loved him and i respected yep. his musical opinions yep. it wasn't necessarily what I was into, but we had lots of stuff we both liked, and then we had stuff I liked, he didn't like, he had stuff he liked, I didn't. But if he well, Queen, was Queen's telling right, me, still had still had their foot in the street, they were like yeah, their, their first job was, was yeah. metal. Yeah. You know, yeah. they were metal, and then they they go in this prog direction, and do this concept album. If you're into that, they were what they were the best thing going at that time. I wasn't into that, but I'm I'm going to defer to the people who are into that stuff that were saying, "Hey, Queensrÿche, this is the shit. They're better than Marillion or whoever the other bands that were trying oh to my God. that niche oh, at the time." Yeah, yeah, yeah they had an album yeah, called Fugazi. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then oh, Dream yeah. Theater goes oh, yeah. in that same same direction, but is heavier. Each of these bands get heavier as you know as the metal just gets heavier and heavier through this period so queensrike is heavier than rush was dream theater is heavier than queensrike was but it's still coming from that ethos the same place that genesis or yes were coming from king crimson was a little bit more intellectually adventurous i would say and and, and had, had some more of that stuff but Fripp kind of had feet in both camps. I mean, he was in a band with Greg Lake. He was in a band with John Wetton, who later, uh, you know, mm. forms Asia. He was in a band with Bill Bruford of Yes, was in King Crimson for a while. So, yeah. you know, there's there's a lot of overlap. But 
Fripp's also playing with Brian Eno and David Bowie and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm there's, disappointed. There's... I'm disappointed too in the, in the latter half of it, which we'll, I'm sure talk about later. That they didn't touch on how influential Swans were, and to, they were introduced to me by Rollins, and he said it's like Sabbath without all the stupid shit. And I thought I got to hear something that sounds. That's how Swans were introduced to me. You know, and, and Swans. To me, were introduced because I heard him on a big sound system waiting for a show to come on, and I was like, "What is this? This is the heaviest yeah. shit I have ever heard in my life." But Which was still pretty correct. That, <laughs> yeah, well, that's yeah. this, you know. But that was this punk underground thing that was descended from the Velvet Underground and the and the yeah. noise rock. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, they could have they could have talked about the Swans, but my big epiphany with this, and we'll get to Tool in the second half of this, but that. Because I'd never listened to Tool. Tool was like, hmm. I was in a heavy rock band in 91. I don't know, we started 91, 92. And I just hit a point where I was like, I play this all the time. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to buy I'm not interested in new metal bands. I'm not interested in new punk bands. Hmm. I'm in one, you know. This is the, this is the beginning of the end, end for Nate. That, that's where we could market as the beginning of the end. Pretty much. I mean, I, 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 I stopped obsessively following new music for like 20 years and really enjoyed just chilling and picking up, mm. you know, being a casual and just, oh, if something came across my path, I'd listen to it. So mm. that means I, I didn't pay any attention to hard rock because that was my home native genre and I was burned mm. out on it. And so Tool and Korn were the first wave of bands and Rage Against the Machine were all like, these would be bands I would be all over and they're not. I'm just not going to check them out. So it's been fun for me to go back and check this out. But with Tool, I was expecting this kind of dream theater type stuff. And I wasn't hearing any of that. It Like the kids and the wife thought it was just grunge. I was like, what? how would you describe no, this no, music? No, no, no. no, that's grunge. And But if you listen to the vocals and everything, and if you play them, mix them in with Soundgarden and the Melvin. But see, please, see the pro Tool. problem is I went, I went down to Tijuana to see Rollins. So the Rollins band is playing when they finally, he had Henrietta Collins and the wife, wife beating child haters, which was his first post with Black Flag thing was sucked. And then he said, no, I got this thing. And it was a Rollins band, which is actually pretty good. So I'm going to go to TJ to see them. Who's opening? I don't know, some band called Tool. And I thought as soon as Tool finished playing, I was like, oh man, that's rough. Having to do a whole tour with these guys when it was pretty clear they were going to be huge. I, I did not envy Rollins having to go out there every single night. And it seemed to me like a, a tour that he wouldn't have consciously chosen that some label people said, Hey, we got a good idea. It's like, yeah, you know, I like, I like competition as well as anybody else, but I'm not having tour open for us every night. That's ridiculous. Well, especially at that point, cause Rollins was running out the end of the string of the Rollins band. Rollins band is no, something no, that no, I would no, say. This was, the, this, this was at the beginning of the Rollins band. This is right after uh, the what, uh, end, of, uh, end of Silence or, or Wait, one of those. I can't remember which. Uh, mid, middle of the way through. but No, um, no, no, no. I mean, no, they already no, put no. out multiple albums. Okay, well. but Now they have <laughs> There will be a reckoning Rollins, in part two. Rollins band is somebody I would put in the category of precursor to Tool as well. But there's a yeah. whole coterie of bands swans is one i think melvin's is the big one though i think melvin's is absolutely mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. the influential yeah, yeah. one that that melvin's because of their influence on the grunge scene because all the bands green yeah. river yeah. Soundgarden, all those yeah. bands nirvana worship yeah. the melvin's study the melvin's and the funny thing about the melvin's is 
the crowds that loved grunge hated the Melvins. Like they, they played, they opened for so many of these bands that they had mentored and tutored just to get booed off stage and humiliated. Damn. It happened over and over again because yep, Buzz yep. is not a charismatic front man. They're not a vocal centered band. You know, they don't do, and well, they don't actually, do actually, actually, actually crowds. I, we played with them a bunch and then we had a problem with them, which I'll talk about in another show, but you know, then I'm I'm still friends with kind of Dale and had a run in with Buzz. But the reality of it was, I think that I've come to be a fan because Shuffle and Melvin's comes up, and every single time they came up, I get across and go, "Who the hell is this?" I go across the room. It was a Melvin's. He's actually a great singer, and and I think that's what finally he is. But it's not pop in. singing. Yeah. It's not Correct. pop singing. Correct. It's, it's it is rock singing, but but the thing is, Melvin's big number one influence is Captain Beefheart, and Beefheart, yeah. mm-hmm. even though he came up with Zappa, they literally grew up together and yeah. both played together. Are very different because Beefheart's on that artsy side of things, yeah. the 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 ugly, more the free jazz side of things rather yeah. than mod, modern neoclassicism or whatever. So it's weird it's like for quake Zappa. And, quake and quiz. And, yeah, and I happen to be I happen to be a Beefheart guy. Yeah, me too. And and the Melvins was the band my band ripped off. Like that was and yeah. so when I was listening to Tool, I was like, Well, this is complicated. This is weird. These time signatures are changing. The Mel you know, I was like, some of these licks sound like licks my band could have been playing. And I was like, Well, we didn't listen to prog rock. And mm-hmm. then I was like, Aha, it's the Melvins. And that's and that's sort of this change. And also the thing that happened after Grunge got over is the bright line between are you a punk or are you a classic rocker? no longer existed like you know people didn't care about that stuff anymore and so people were free to bring in all these kinds of influences and we'll talk about you know the math rock aspect now what what else did you have to say about queen's rock and dream theater that you wanted to insist that we cover on this time um mostly that uh, jason slater uh who was in um who was in i think the name of the band was black river conspiracy or black snake something like that and he had been in third eye blind wrote a lot of their, their big hits but he was also a guy from east palo alto here he just died and he um um opened for tool um and he also uh had something to do with the production team of latter day queens right um and so they were also, like I said, they had the ear ear to the streets. He um, was a pretty phenomenal contribution. And my favorite story about going on tour with Tool was that Maynard, because of the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, uh, kept challenging him to roll. Uh, <laughs> Jason was a, a, a BJJ blue belt, as was uh, 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 Maynard at that time. And he said no. And then finally, their crew guys ganged up on Jason and said, you're going to roll. He goes, I got to play. He goes, you're going to roll, you pussy. And so then he rolled and uh, tapped Maynard. Wow. <laughs> see. Okay, that's good. And then we kind of got this advice. I go, what? He goes, yeah, they kind of did it really. <laughs> so, I see. But that's Tool, not Queensryche or Dream Theater. Correct. So uh, no, did you have anything to add about Dream? Jason Slater was part of the production team, unless you just want to keep talking. I could just stop. No. <laughs> so he was part of the production team for Dreams for Queensryche. For Queen, that was okay. Queensryche, and he had lots of great things to say about those guys. And again, to me, like what changes is their bona fides, right? And I felt that I felt that way with Tool. That though I like Tool, they these were not 
hardcore guys. These are not guys who grew up listening to Black Flag and all that stuff. With Queensryche, we're very much hardcore guys who decide, well, I can really sing. Not hardcore really... punk. According to Jason, like they were there at the Black Flag show, and that's what Jason said. That's what he said. Well, they might have been at the shows, but their, the show their music and their material shows which is, which is no. Which is, nah, I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about their placement and yeah. time and their understanding. You know, when Maynard was going to rush shows, these guys were actually, you know, in the pit punching people in the face. Just a small thing. <clears throat> I I don't know. I, that's doesn't jive at all. Well, I don't with... know. Why, I don't know. Why do we ask John Cage Keller? all right well we'll continue and we'll talk about tool and we'll talk about mishuga and we'll talk about dillinger escape plan when we come back And now, a word from our sponsors. continue our discussion of prog metal into the 90s and 2000s but before we get to get into tool at all i want to go back and mention jethro tull and pink floyd as two other first generation prog bands that rocked that should have been mentioned in the conversation i mean some of this is the bands bringing up genesis uh but pink floyd i think and and jethro tull deserve the shine as much as anybody why didn't they get it I don't know. I mean, Jethro Tull had the flute and the whole thing, so mm-hmm. that that kind of put a stink on him. And also, they won the best metal Grammy in like '89 when it was, uh, you know, just disgustingly inappropriate. Yeah. So I think people have kind of held that against them. But if you go back and listen to their stuff, I mean, Locomotive Breath and stuff like that, they had some chugga chugga guitars and, and and were generally heavier than Genesis, I would say, and did massive concept albums like thick thick as a brick as a one song album you know and like pink floyd had the nile song and and uh some other heavy things that the necros did a good version of the nile song but um what who did the necros like really their career yeah and their tangled up album i think uh, on a single, on a okay. uh yeah i stopped listening to them by then but yeah all right you know. Conquest, but, Conquest, Conquest for Death was uh, my favorite record. Of the album that Touch and Go has kept out of print for thirty-seven years now yeah. for petty reasons, but that's that's got nothing to do with prog metal. So people 
come to listen to us talk about prog metal don't want to hear about hardcore punk so Queensryche Dream Theater anything we need to say I mean that we no we discussed them last show come on let's okay, get to okay okay well I just just settle settle but the two bands that should have mentioned in this era and didn't were Voivod and Primus and I don't know if you can call Primus metal mm. But they were playing a lot of the same venues, and they were definitely proggy. You know, yeah. they were on Lollapalooza and, and and all that kind of stuff. And Voivod and definitely, the, and they made the Tony Hawk uh, soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> that that they did, that they did. And then you know, I actually listened to not one but two Dream Theater albums all the way through. Not my personal taste, but I was pleasantly surprised they do rock harder. I mean, remarkably harder than say Queensrÿche, but still. Dream, I mean, you know, this was this was a this was a naming gambit that went wrong. Dream Theater is the name of a record. Dream Theater is the name of a song. But Dream Theater is not the name of a band. That's somebody should have helped them with that. You know? Well, I think they did fine career-wise. Although the thing I want to bring out about them is they're a music college band, so Berkeley School of Music. Oh. Yeah, you, and this, you, that's no, 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 you can't really hold that against them, though, man. If you do, you remember going to LA in the big hair days, and you would see all those uh, GIT guys, man. Just you could just they just the guitar Institute of Technology. Yes, yes, yeah. they were studying their tapping. Speaking yeah. of Genesis, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Berkeley College music is fine and dandy, whatever. But I don't. know. My big thing with Dream Theater is I honestly don't think they had any influence i don't you know this whole wave of the rest of the bands i talk about are not following the dream theater lead like i yeah. think dream theater and queens rock were a dead end and then tool um was it his personal favorites that's why i put them in there no i think and- if you're going to talk about prog metal you have to talk about them because they were the only exemplars of that style other than voivod for you know five ten years i mean there was Nobody else doing anything like what Queensryche was doing there. And it was very much in the footsteps of Rush. So mm-hmm. my bigger problem with the prog metal thing is like now, you know, we've got Tool. We already talked about Tool. And you're right about the noise rock thing. It's not just the Melvins. It's that whole Shellac, Steve Albini's band, the Swan, Sonic Youth. I mean. Oh, I'm sorry. Did you did you acknowledge that I was right about something? I, I, I did. I, don't, I did. I don't and st- I'm not even going to bring up how dumb your point about Queens right going to a Black Flag show was, but uh, out of kindness. That, that, that was solid. <laughs> <laughs> having been having been there, that was solid. Uh huh. But the there was the thing. The point that they made in the show was that there was a niche for this kind of stuff, and and there kind of always had been, and it's always kids who are learning how to play guitar and want to see guys who can play fast. I want to see a drummer with a gong and 80 Tom Toms. And, you know, so dream theater okay. and, and Queensryche were, do you know anybody who doesn't play an instrument? Who's into Mahavishnu? Mahavishnu orchestra. Yeah. I mean, I love them. Um, you, you play an instrument. Yeah, I know, but so I can't really uh, comment that. But Mahavishnu isn't this kind of same kind of stuff. I mean, no, Black no, Flag no. was in the Mahavishnu no. orchestra. Yeah, no, but and, I'm, I'm and, and I'm glad you brought them up because there's somebody else we should have talked about. I mean, they were heavy rock, but instrumental and also jazz fusion, but way heavy rock. I mean, blazing guitar solos, loud, aggressive, and everything. But I, 
they didn't I don't think they have the same meathead appeal as say Rush or Dream Theater or whatever, you know? Maybe like, I know a lot of heavy metal drummers and bass players are huge into them. Harley from the Crow Mags, huge Mahavishnu guy. Oxbow's first drummer, Tom Dora, huge Mahavishnu guy. Yeah, it's got a you know, I found them unlistenable myself, but really, I I, I dug them. I mean, it's guitar I'm just, but I'm, I'm just a singer. Well, where do I? Know? I see. I see. Well, what do you think of like the process of weeding out? Uh, yeah, I, I I didn't mind that. I I, I mean that, that that was always sold for me on Petty Bond. But you know uh, what I did was excited about, and I'm not sure if you got the same press release I got. I listened to Graham Bonnet's new record, and it's great. <laughs> You're back to the Alcatraz. Yeah, sorry. I just got it. I looked at the whole thing this week, and I was like, this is solid. I don't care, man. I It was easier for him to relate replace Ingve than it was for Ingve to replace him, and that's mm. where I'm resting there. Ingve never did have a strong vocalist again. That is true. Yeah. But let's keep moving. Meshuggah, they talk about, you know, Swedish prog metal band. But to me, Meshuggah was always part of that Swedish extreme metal scene like death metal with entombed and and all that kind of stuff i didn't see them as prog per se when you listen to them you can tell they're doing fancy stuff yeah I don't... to me like thrash and death metal bands are kind of prog anyway you know but the ornette coleman comparison left me scratching my head i did not i don't hear you can't improvise in a context like mashuga am i wrong i mean if you're playing that kind of complicated rhythms, there's no room for free to play free. So, I mean, they're well, aggressive. Like I, I you, should, you should, there's an interview I put up on my Facebook where they talked to the guitar player from the, the fairly famous guitar player from, from Boonwell. Of course, his, that's his, his slumming project, the Boonwell thing. And he talks about high, highly structured music and improvisational spaces within that highly structured music. So, you know, it's, it's, there's a possibility, a strong possibility. Yeah. Maybe so. I'd be curious to know if Meshuggah's actually into Ornette Coleman or any kind of jazz. More, more like Albert Eiler. I don't know if you've ever seen him play. <laughs> oh, I mean, he was ice-picked and tied to a pinball machine before I was born, but uh, uh, I, I love Albert Eiler, you know. Yeah. But I've never heard them, like, sit on a the most dissonant note combo possible and just drag oh. it for the whole tune. A buddy of mine saw them and he was like, oh, these people, you know, anytime a black guy pulls out a horn, they think, oh, it's going to be some smooth. <laughs> so Eiler takes his horn out and just, ah, ah, they, they lasted about 30 seconds, man. They couldn't take yeah. it. So. I love Albert Eiler and Sonny Sherrick and that whole school yeah. of, you know, jazz Har- noise. Har- yep, yep harmonic. Um, but then that brings us to the Dillinger Escape. Anybody else have anything to say about Meshuggah? Yeah, I mean, this stuff leaves Alexi ice cold. Has no comment about any of this. But Dillinger Escape Plan is, But we're not is... tastemakers. <laughs> <laughs> Dillinger Escape Plan, though, is a whole different kettle of fish. Like, I don't even buy them as metal. That's definitely aggressive rock. But to me, I would consider it like math rock, like Shellac or Slint or Shudder to Think. That tradition... Yeah. There's me, I know. No, there's a whole different. And they're post-Dillinger projects with Ben doing this stuff with uh, uh, Giraffe Tongue 
with some Cantrell and some of those guys, and then Greg Pucciato doing uh, actually on tour with Alice in Chains doing several songs during the set. It's 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 pretty clear to me that their ideation of themselves is as a as a heavy rock you know metal band. Heavy rock, yeah, but I mean. Shell act I could, rock. I could I consider them a hardcore band myself. So yeah, to me it's it's coming out of the punk tradition, not the metal tradition. Yeah, not that there's much difference in that at this point. Um, and then we got Mastodon, and again, and going back to Mastodon, my impression, which I hadn't dived into them, but that they were a doom metal band, and then no. the prog thing. Yeah, they're totally a doom. They're they they can niche into that. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm not, I, I don't mean, feel so about it. Yeah, I can see that. You know, and so, which kind of makes me, you know, like, and they don't talk about doom metal in the extreme metal episode, which we're going to talk about next. So, um, and I could get that sleep isn't like selling, you know, gazillions of units or whatever, but that was my favorite genre of metal in the 90s. So, and stoner rock. Stoner rock, yeah. Stone, Fu Manchu. You know that kind of that kind of stuff, super um, heavy, and yep, and, and Caius, um, and you know, and then that of course turns into Queens. What is the Stone Age? Something Queens of the Stone Age? Yeah, Eagles of the Stone Age. Those or, no, that's Eagles of Death Metal. Is the Eagles, another yeah. related project? Queen, yeah. Queens of Stone Age. Yeah, that was, that was pop. Yeah, that was pop, but it came out of that sort of sludge metal thing, and and they and they, and they talk about it so. I don't know. Any any final thoughts on prog metal? We're just gonna make this a short episode. Like, no, like it. How was it that we just skipped by Tool? We're like Tool. We didn't even talk. Yeah, that was that was very disturbing. I thought we were talking about Tool last time. I mean, like no, no, we were supposed to talk about Tool this time. I see. Well, my take on Tool is that they were a grunge band who did proggy things but really weren't any proggier than Soundgarden. I mean, okay, they were a little proggier than Soundgarden, but not... Yeah. Soundgarden's pretty proggy, if you actually listen Hands to all over. I mean, they had the, they had the Yarl. <laughs> they had the grunge Yarl up front, but the guitars and the song structures and everything are... Well, this is the thing that, that Greg Davis pointed out, the Oxbow drummer, and he after we did the show with Perfect Circle, and he was like, these guys, I guarantee you 10 years ago, they weren't listening to what we were listening to, you know? And, you know, 10 years earlier, he was right. Maynard was in the military, right? They was listening to, to Rush and Queensryche and, you know, pretty middle, middle what we would consider middle-of-the-road metal, you know? Um, so, Maynard probably, but the rest, of, I mean, at some point they were listening to, to grunge in a big way. I mean, yeah, yeah, you know. yeah, 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 maybe. But then you also realize the guys in Soundgarden, Ten years earlier, weren't listening to grunge. Right? They were listening. To- they were they were to the Melvins. I mean, the Melvins were kind of like a lodestar for them, you know. And and yeah. and, and, and mostly they were listening to Black Flag. Like that's Correct. that's where Correct. that's where the Melvins, you know, which were nobody from would have ever building them. Would have ever called anything. Uh, uh, I mean, even though that tour in '84, when they started growing their hair, and we said we're going to be hippies now, start listening to a lot of Grateful Dead to alienate their fans. And yeah, that's I have to say, honest to God, Rollins gave me a tape, and that's what I listened to the summer of '84. Nothing but Holy Diver. He goes, "This is yep. all we've all we've listened to in the van this whole tour." And I was, ah, let me hear it, and uh, that's all I listened to that whole summer. So, but I, I I think that it's just 
you know, it's what you listen to before. So I think, to, in, in other words, I think tools in its con- conception, actualization, its basis in reality was always mainstreaming. And I don't know, that's a bad thing. It's just is what it is, you know. I can other, see that, but yeah. it 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 doesn't doesn't read like square 80s metal to me. It's update, you know, updated Correct. for the 90s, Correct. which, you know, Correct. it... it <laughs> but no, and they, you know, they had, they had an edge to them. You know, the you know, the, I mean, you got to take hats off to a guy who's doing a song called "Prison Rape." You know, um, <laughs> I mean, Do I, I've I've heard I've heard I've heard Albini just lambast them. I think uh, I can't remember whether he was lambasting them as a band or as a, the video or, <laughs> but, but he's not apparently not that much of a fan. Um, so he clearly is hearing what Greg Davis is hearing, but you know, I, I enjoyed them. I saw them in Tijuana and enjoyed them. Thought they blew Rollins off the stage and uh, uh, the, the structural stuff didn't stand in the way of what I felt to be good tunes, you know. Um, That's then, the then thing. He, They're tune focused. They're not twiddly twiddly diddly diddly. You know, they, they're doing that underneath, but in the service of the tune. You but know. then they took that left turn where people, as they inevitably do, make the big mistake of listening to the singer too much. And mm. Maynard started talking. <laughs> I'm the first to say, as a singer, I'm the first to say, we need to shut up more. And and he just, he went down that Frank Zappa road, man, where it was just, it, it was like the same stupid inside jokes you didn't really quite get. But like Benny Hill, if you just kind of aligned it to Pee poopy caca. Then it was like pictures of him sitting on the toilet, and you know, it's just Jesus Christ. What's the matter with you? How old are you? You know. So, <laughs> but I know I had to have that conversation about the Melvins, right? Because um, we played with them, and I, I, I'm a huge fan of Dale's. Um, but I've had I've had kind of I've had kind of have been at loggerheads with for Buzz for no good reason, except he just walked in in the dressing room when. Oxbow's first drummer was talking shit about I mean, what am I going to say? You know, he's talking shit. But the, I said, but what is it? What is it they do with this, this thing they're doing with the photos? And they came up in San Francisco around Fungo Mungo and, and Primus and all that kind of goof rock. I go, what is it? Why? What's happening? And so I asked Scott Kelly from Neurosis, is, is this, is, is it just the way he is? Or is, this, is he trying to do? He goes, hey, man, it's just the way Buzz is. Like, he thinks that shit's funny. Like it's funny. Like Godspeed You Black Emperor curated a festival. And you know who they got to play the festival? The biggest the biggest get for them. The thing that they were Godspeed You Black Emperor, the biggest thing who are pretty prog in their own right. The biggest get for them, which they got, was Weird Al Yankovic. Interesting choice. They think they they do, think he's do a, people buy festival tickets to see Weird Al live? Like, but I you know, speaking of Weird Al, I was playing Voivod in the car today, and my kid hated it. And I was like, "Wow, this is way worse than I remembered it." The dude sings just like Weird Al Yankovic. It's 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 stunning. Um, yeah, Voivod. Uh, there was some painful listening for this, and some treats. I enjoyed getting into Meshuggah. I enjoyed Mastodon. I even enjoyed Tool. That I, you know, never, never cracked a tool open, t- tool album open in my life, and and I went through three or four really? of them, and and you know, 
Yeah, mm. it seems pretty solid stuff. I mean, you know, and the younger metal guys that I talked to about it, Tool is very highly regarded. You know, so mm. I mean, where are you? Where you're hanging out with? Where are you? Where you're hanging out with younger metal guys? Where's that? On Twitter, these MMA dorks—they're all metalheads. All these guys okay. arrive for me, and you know, like I thought you were hanging out at schoolyards or something. Hey, no. you, hey, you young kids. No, I'm on Reddit and Twitter. I'm not talking to people. I mean, just lurking. <laughs> just, just lurking. So Alexi could barely stomach the episode. No, you know, I think one of my problems with it is uh, Rush was a group when I was growing up. Always, no matter where you went, somebody had the uh, denim jacket with a Rush album cover, like, you know, drawn in, in ink. So there always was someone with Rush just getting these voices and he looked exactly the way he sounded and it was just I just could not I like Tom Sawyer like everybody else that was a casual but even then it was just too I think go back to other things with metal is the fact that and which is why like Tool is when you have a certain you have to have a certain kind of darkness and a certain kind of edge to your sound and if it gets a little too stonehenge like spinal tap and a little too just nasal and high pitched and i hear the pan flutes and if i'm looking at you and you look like you belong in a in a renaissance festival or i'm getting those kind of vibes just you know what i'm saying it's like that kind of stuff but for the episode the, the reason why i had a problem with the episode also is because i think it it just was going all over the place in terms of sounds. Like sometimes, yeah. again, as a casual, as someone's not a musician, whenever there's certain genres or subgenres he's picking, there's stuff he leaves out. But there's, you know, sonically, just as a pure casual, I can follow the sound. You know, I can follow the, mm-hmm. how the yeah. music sounds, the singers, the vibe. This is all over the place, and so. Rush is on there. I'm like, I can't watch this. So I'm like fast forwarding. And then I get it something else. I'm like, hey, this sounds totally different from that. All right. And then they have Queen's Rike, which I, you know, I was, you know, during the time, like you could not avoid silent lucidity and all that kind of stuff that cross. Again, as a pure casual, you just could not avoid. Yeah. Queen's Rike was like, oh, that's the, that's the metal that's respectable. That's respectable pop metal, right? Like at the time, it was yeah. that group that if you wanted to impress someone and not be embarrassed to be a metal fan, it's like, I was the Queen's Rike. Oh, they're kind of like Pink Floyd and Rush. And so you see that and then, uh, and then they get to Tool and I'm, waiting it's like yeah they didn't agree to participate obviously and i was like okay yeah, how far along could go music. with this and they couldn't use the music and then it's like they're in and out and it's like okay and then they're moving on to other stuff which has it just there's nothing and again i am not a prog metal guy so again i'm just a casual but it's just really hard to follow just it just seemed like he was just throwing shit out there with people who do interviews with him so yeah i kind of i kind of got that vibe too because like it's not like I mean Dillinger Escape Plan. I could see an argument for why they're significant, but it's not like they're massively popular or part of a movement. Yes, it were. Has anything to do with say? Well, not a movement that includes Meshuggah and Mastodon. I mean, I, I, those guys are known associates and fellow travelers, and they had three sold-out shows at a huge venue in New York when they announced that they were leaving. They were pretty massive, man. Those guys need not work again, you know. Mm. Yeah, I mean they were they were big, but they weren't black sabbath big you know they weren't lincoln park big 
and they were mm. not linked. I do not think of Dillinger Escape Plan and Meshuga. You know, like it's not like they Meshuga led to Dillinger Escape Plan or like I, I just right like or even it's, it's funny you said that and then also we like, say you know? and when you say as big exactly bands you like and you say as big because with other stuff even if I was not familiar with you can see and understand oh I that's why this is big you know this oh I get this now I understand why this is here but this is like just a dartboard of stuff like just all over yeah. the place just yeah. more than any more than any other if this if this was the blueprint for every episode then by this point I would understand it but this just totally veered off in terms of any kind of coherent thread for somebody that was not familiar that was like just just had a very basic understanding of the genre it was just too all over the place hard to follow hard to understand the pieces of the puzzle it just seemed like throwing it well, on the, one, you know, all over me, the place this one and shock rock were like sort of non-temporal episodes they're not organized by time they're organized by style and you could take the groups that were in the shock rock for the most part and put them into other episodes, you know, like yep. you could have put slipknot into the new metal episode just fine. And new metal mm -hmm. was the dominant style for most of the period we're talking about here, you know, at least in the eighties and nineties, massive, massive genre. And so prog metal is kind of, and from the beginning, from the time of rush, it was sort of an alternative style. It was never the dominant style. You, but you big though, that's the thing. I guess, but that's the problem is the fact that as a pure casual, I'm telling you, like Rush of all the groups they had well, in they the metal huge. evolution, huge in terms of commercially, Queensrÿche, huge. So, so you know, so you're, you're having, and then the the the, the where they what what inspired them, you know. So again, it's not like it's yeah. it's this little total underground non-commercial yeah, groups that they're playing. But it wasn't the dominant strain. Right. No, that's true. Right. Right. That's true. That's true. No, that's true. That's true. Really big. You had hardcores yeah. for the music. That's true. Because that's yeah. that's for the yeah. rush thing. And Tool, I think you could easily have put into the grunge episode. Because to me, they were like, uh, if 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 it, it's the thing was all the other other second wave grunge bands sucked, so that you know Tool had musical ideas and and power. So I can see why they didn't stick them in there with Candlebox and Nickelback and shit, but that was the sort of the audience they were fishing in is people that were into grunge bands. That's that's kind of who was in a tool. Um, so, you know, throwing Meshuga and Dillinger Escape Plan and Macedon in there, it's like they do have this prog aspects to them, but it, yeah, it, it just didn't entirely hang together to me as a coherent episode it's not talking about an era because they weren't the dominant style of any particular era and then they all have these different strains on them and you know what I, I, they sh who they should have put in there that I, I don't i think they missed the boat they should have actually put neurosis in there because neurosis had ask you about that yeah that's pretty consistent, and because to, to me, prog, it's not really prog unless there's a keyboard. <laughs> mm. and, and neurosis since since um, what is that first record that they had with a uh, silver and blood? I'm pretty sure they've had keyboards since then. You know, uh, I mean, I know the dude, so yeah, they've had keyboards since then. So, well, you notice in this episode that after Tool, there's no more keyboards. Like once Tool comes along, mm. like I swear the whole Queensryche Dream Theater line died. 
I mean, Dream Theater was the last of the breed. They 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 did show there was a market for prog metal, and you know, there's a big Reddit prog metal group, but and they talk about a lot of these bands. But I don't know. To me, uh, I don't know. It just doesn't hold together as well as the style. And so next time, it'll be interesting to talk about extreme metal because you got multiple different styles. Uh, you know, with the death metal and the black metal and grindcore, which is an interesting one because it comes out of punk. But do they have the true the- godfather of extreme metal, which is Gary Schron and his... Uh... <laughs> I mean, the group's name was Extreme, right? Yeah, it's, man. You know, that's... that's, that, that's, that's I a, mean, he a was hand. a singer for Van Halen. So. <laughs> oh, God. I forgot man. about that sad chapter. I, yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, thank you. <laughs> My contribution to this episode. <laughs> so, so we got extreme metal to look forward to, but it seems like metalcore is the dominant metal style of the 21st century, which kind of comes out of you know, I don't, I don't know. It's 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 like this thing. And Eugene, you're probably familiar. Remember in the 90s when you'd hear about, hey, have you heard the Donnas? They're this chick punk band. And I remember young, that. And they sound like Motley Crue and ACDC. Mm. They started you know? our, They were called Raggedy Ann. They were Pally High girls. And they came to us to record with their parents in tow. And uh, the guy, Bart Thurber, who ran the studio, was like, man, they're going to be huge. I go, you're out of your fucking mind. And, of course, they, I'm frozen. No, no, there. I'm back. Uh, and of course, he was. He yeah, was right. That? Not only was he right. Not only was he right. The guy who ran Uni- Universal Records in Europe, in Hamburg, a guy named Michael Krell, came to me and said, "Hey, Eugene, we're thinking about signing uh, uh, the Donnas. What do you think? Ah, that, that fucking they suck it. They fucking. Uh. This is the guy who signed Ramstein. Well, they signed the Donnas and they did <laughs> huge business over over in Europe and so he stopped asking me for advice at that point right but, <laughs> and that's you know smart business any A&R man will make that uh, yeah screw that I never liked him man I liked I liked the women in the band but the point I was trying to make though is yeah. that the definition of punk sounded like 80s metal to me mm. not punk and honestly it seems like New York hardcore like sick of it all Man and Pro Mags and uh, yeah and all and and Dropkick Murphys and all this stuff that becomes a more dominant influence on metal in the 21st century than almost cool. any of this other stuff. And so Biohazard, yeah. yeah, yeah, and and so and what they call metalcore now, which I don't have a super mm. firm handle on, but that seems to be the strain. So you could argue that they could should have done more on you know punk metal crossover in the series but we'll talk I, th- I think they'll talk about that some extreme metal it's been about a year since i watched that episode so i'm gonna go tonight and watch that but that's what we'll talk about next time as we wrap up our discussion of metal evolution follow the letter roll podcast on twitter at letter rollcast and check out our website at letterrollpodcast.com next week Nate, Eugene, and Alexi return to close out the series with a look at Extreme Metal. Let It Roll is a Pantheon podcast, and you can listen to more great podcasts at www.pantheonpodcasts.com.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.